0: I think it is in God's wisdom that He gives us various portions to worship. So singing is one of them, of course. Prayer, speaking the Word of God, hearing the Word of God proclaimed. And each one of those different parts of worship are meant to complement each other. And I was thinking as I was listening to that offertory, back to the time when I was growing up, and I remember watching my dad sing in church and being deeply moved by what he was singing, and thinking, this is real. This is not something that we're just going through the motions to do. My dad actually believes this. And I would hope that as you're listening, and you're singing, and you're praying, and you're hearing the Word of God, that those around you would also see in the way that you are moved by what we're doing, that this is more than just a rote activity, that we're here worshiping a God who's real. Tonight we're thinking about what is sometimes called in the Reformed tradition the ordinary means of grace. And I want to read a question and answer from our shorter catechism that talk about the ordinary means of grace. Question 88 asks the question, what are the outward and ordinary means whereby Christ is communicated to us and the benefits of his redemption are given to us? And the answer is, the outward and ordinary means by where, by where Christ communicates to us the benefits of redemption are the following. They are His ordinances, especially the Word, sacraments, and prayer, all of which are made effectual to election for salvation. Just a note about that when we talk about the ordinary means of grace. Well, we mean not that these things are ordinary or common, like they don't make a difference. We don't mean it that way. What we mean is that these are the typical things. These are the things that week after week we, we do because these are the ways that God has promised to give us His grace. And tonight I want to think about the first of those ordinary means of grace, the Word. Tonight we're going to read from Second Timothy chapter 4, and I'm going to start, you might say, part 1 of what the Bible says about the use of the Word in preaching. And then next Sunday, we're going to go to part two, where it talks specifically in the catechism about preaching. So if you want to think about this as a part one and a part two, that would be perfectly appropriate. From uh, 2 Timothy chapter four, the first five verses, hear the word of God. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but will have itching ears, and they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and they will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work and evangelist, fulfill your ministry. This is the Word of God. The question that is posed by this summary of God's Word or catechism is a simple question, and that is, why are you doing what you're doing here tonight at this moment? Why are you listening to someone give a monologue of about 30 minutes on an ancient text? It seems very out of accord with the world in which we live. It seems almost out of place that you would come to a place you would set aside this amount of time to listen to me talk about a book that was written, written many generations before any of us lived. Why do you do that? If your answer is, it's a pattern of life. It's what we do in worship. I've noticed that in the church, if we have a pattern that we follow simply because it is our pattern, that pattern has its holding power for maybe two, at most three generations, and then it disappears. And tonight, I want you to see that the gift of preaching that is the Word of God explained is in fact a gift. And we do it not simply because it is our pattern, and maybe we've grown up in a church and we've heard people do it. No, we do it because it is commanded in this particular place in Scripture. It follows the pattern of the Scripture as a whole, and it is genuinely an expression of God's care for you that you can listen to a sermon. Now, I could smile and say, when I was a young man, I didn't always appreciate that. Sometimes the sermons seem very long. And what I'm not going to do is give you an apology or an explanation for sometimes bad sermons, including my own. What I want you to think is that preaching at its best is a sign of God's grace to you. In fact, it is the means by which, it is the way by which God gives you His grace. And that is why we do it. There are three things I want to say about that tonight in answer to that question. Why are you listening to a sermon? Timothy gives us three reasons. The first is because Jesus commands it. Remember, our passage tonight from 2 Timothy comes at the end, as you can see, from Paul's second letter to Timothy. Timothy is a pastor of a church. Not everything in this book is written just to Timothy. But this particular part of this book seems aimed especially at Timothy. And he says at the beginning of this section, after introducing who is watching Timothy as he preaches, he says, and preach the word. It is a direct command. Everything before that is leading up to the command. Here is the command preach the word. Now you might wonder where that command comes from. What does that mean? I want to give you a bit of the background of why the Word of God is so important, especially in its preaching. This verse, too, is built on a long history of God speaking to His people authoritatively. Think, for example, in the Old Testament. If you've read through the Old Testament, especially the prophets, you'll hear God speaking through Moses or through Isaiah or one of the minor prophets. And when the prophets would communicate the message of God, they would typically begin by saying, thus says the Lord, and then they would say what God had given that prophet to speak. They came with the authority of God himself, in fact, so serious Was it to claim that you came on behalf of God, that if you're a prophet, you claim to be a prophet, you spoke a prophecy, and that prophecy didn't come to pass in Deuteronomy it says, the people of God should take up stones and put you to death. It's that serious to claim to come in the name of the Lord and not to faithfully speak His word. When you turn to the New Testament, in the New Testament Gospels, we read that Jesus came with the authority, speaking the word of God. In fact, the religious leaders were surprised. They said, Jesus speaks not as our rabbis, our teachers. He speaks with a different kind of authority. And Jesus himself said, if you hear me, if you hear, my, if you hear me, you're listening to my Father. I'm speaking only what he gives to me. Jesus himself claimed to speak authoritatively on behalf of God. Jesus was obviously more than a prophet, but he was certainly a prophet as well. He was the fullest or truest prophet the world has ever known. And this, then this authoritative speaking continued into the New Testament after Jesus ascended. Paul and Peter both claimed to speak on behalf of God, being led by the Spirit of God. For example, we read in the New Testament epistles that all Scripture... Comes from God and is to be believed as authoritative because it is God breathed, that is, inspired. So I want you to remember all of that when Paul says to Timothy, Preach the word. Preaching there is more than simply chatting about it and talking about it. It comes in that tradition of being able to stand up and say, The Lord is speaking to you, people of God, pay attention. This isn't just a time in which we exchange good ideas. If it's time for a Herman the Worm story or for me to regale you about stories about my youth, you can come or you can not come. It really makes no difference. But if this is a time in which the Word of God is spoken to you with authority, then it is not indifferent to God whether you listen and pay attention. You are compelled. You ought to listen. You ought to respond. But is that what Paul is telling Timothy to do, to speak with that authority, to speak with the same authority that Moses or Jesus or Paul spoke with. Should you take what I'm saying to you tonight or other times when I'm preaching as though God himself is speaking to you? In an important sense, the answer is no to that question. It's not the same. But in a secondary sense, the answer is emphatically yes. And that's why I've given you this history of God speaking authoritatively in the Scriptures. The no, it is not the same as the Scriptures themselves. God's speaking word that that is then inscripturated for us. This is not the same. Preaching is not the same as that. That answer comes from the way that we understand redemptive history. And Timothy's preaching as it falls in redemptive history. And this preaching as it falls in redemptive history. What we're doing here tonight comes after direct revelation from God is closed. That's the argument that the writer makes in Hebrews chapter 1 verses 1 through 3. He says, in the past God spoke through prophets, but now Jesus has arrived. He is the fullest revelation of God. He is the one you were looking for. The prophets looked forward to Him. The apostles reflected on Him. They were critical in you understanding who Jesus was. All of that was meant to point to our Savior. But when Jesus sat down at the right hand of the Father, He sat down having done all that is necessary. He has revealed the full will of God So that when preachers like Timothy or a preacher like me stand up and we say we're speaking on behalf of God to you, we are not, and you should not uh, confuse it, you should never think to yourself, Jeff is speaking to me like Moses spoke to the people of Israel. It's not the same. The words that I say do not come from the Spirit of God in the same way As the New Testament says, and Peter records, men were carried along by the Holy Spirit. so that the words that they spoke were fully authoritative. It's not the same. Instead, and here's why I want you to pay close attention, the authority that comes in preaching is a derivative authority. It carries authority in as much as it corresponds and is in keeping with the truth of the Scriptures. If the Bible is true, and what I'm explaining to you about the Bible is true, then you must listen, because the authority of God through the Scriptures is being communicated to you as I speak. Again, that does not make preaching the same, is the same as what we find in the Scripture in terms of that authority from the original speaking of the Word of God. But it also means that preaching is not the same on the other end of things, the other end of the spectrum. It's not the same as people simply talking about the Bible. This is not my personal reflection on the Bible, and you can kind of take it or leave it. It makes no difference. We believe that preaching is commanded by God. And the preaching that God has given specifically to you is meant in this time and this place for your good. God has brought you to this church with this pastor, with these people, because he knows specifically who you are. He knows what you need to hear. And he calls attention, your attention, to the Word of God. And he asks you to listen to it as you are listening to God speak to you. And in as far as what I say agrees with the Word of God... The elders of this church, they are called to discern whether it agrees with the Word of God. You are called to listen and compare what I say with the Word of God. But if you listen to what is preached and you see it corresponds with the Word of God, then you must listen to it as you are listening to God Himself speak to you as the Word is explained. If what I say is the truth... If it does correspond with the scriptures as a whole, then, friend, you cannot listen with indifference. You must listen as Jesus says in John My sheep hear my voice, and they follow me. That's quite an introduction to the idea of preaching. And Paul, in this passage, emphasizes that truth in the way the passage opens. I started by explaining the second verse. The first verse adds a lot of weight to the second verse. In the first verse, Paul says to Timothy, Imagine there are witnesses listening to you preach. There is God the Father Himself. There is the Son. The Son who has died, the Son who is reigning, the Son who is coming back. And they are they're listening to what has happened. They are lending their authority to what is happening, but they're also holding accountable the one who is speaking. Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, Jesus, who has now appeared and is coming back again, they are standing not only in this passage, but friends, if this passage is true, if I'm explaining it correctly, the Father and the Son are standing here tonight. Judging and commending the truth of God to you. They are the divine witnesses. And so Paul says to Timothy, preach the word. Preach the word. Please understand there's something unique about preaching that might get kind of muddled. There is the question about whether or not it matters if you come to worship to hear preaching. Does the preaching of a particular pastor to a particular people in a particular church matter? Or is it just as well that you listen to a good preacher through sermon audio or maybe through YouTube, you can do so sitting at home by yourself at a time that's most convenient for you. Maybe you're not a morning person and our services are in the morning, or maybe you're not an evening person. You're like, I can't come in the morning or evening, I think two o'clock in the afternoon is my best time. I'm just going to spend that time listening to the best pastor. I'm going to be richly fulfilled. Perhaps I can explain this difficulty in this way. Before I stood up to preach this sermon, I went to look at a record of various sermons that have been preached on this passage. There is one by John Piper, who is a very good preacher. Let me commend him to you. He preaches in Minneapolis. I'm pretty sure that if you were to listen to John Piper's sermon on 2 Timothy chapter 4, it's going to be better in many ways than what I'm preaching to you tonight. And you might go and find sermons on 2 Timothy chapter 4 all over the place. And you might listen to them and say, those are the most outstanding expositions of 2 Timothy 4 I've ever heard. Why would I bother to listen to my pastor explain this passage to me? Again, so why would you come? To repeat the question I asked at the beginning, why would you come here and listen to this? Rather than doing your own searching on the internet, And finding a better sermon, technically speaking, to listen to while you're sitting at home on your own couch, all comfy. The answer is found in the uniqueness of preaching. You've come to this place to hear preaching because this is key, listen to this, preaching is never intended to be detached from the people who are listening. It is meant to take an infallible truth, the scriptures that do not change, and it is meant to connect that infallible truth with imminent people. That's you. My job is not simply to give you a technical explanation of this passage. My job is to take an explanation of this passage and to know you well enough to be able to speak this word to you in a way that a pastor 2,000 miles away would struggle to do so. There's no church like you. Just like you look at your children you say, this one's different from that one. None of them are the same. Churches are the same way. You would be foolish for you to just go and pick the best parent possible to enter into your home and to parent your children. You would say that makes no sense. The best parent possible doesn't know my children. The best preacher ever doesn't know you in the same way that the pastor of this church is called to know you in order to minister to the, the Word of God to you in the most effective way. To put a little difference, even the best sermon should never be able to be plucked out of its context and repeated in some other time and place and have the exact same impact that it did in its original time and place. It doesn't mean it's bad to listen to sermons. Listen to them profitably. Just don't confuse listening to a sermon on the internet with hearing a sermon live in the company of God's people. That's the difference between looking at a really wonderful meal and appreciating the beauty and the color and then sitting down to a really beautiful meal and eating it, smelling it, and tasting it, and being filled by it. Oh, my word, I feel like I'm getting a little exercised about this. Preaching is meant to be God's ministry to you in this time and place. You're known here. You're loved here, and God cares for you so much that He desires to apply that word to you in preaching in a way that is intended to transform your heart and your life. To use another illustration, listening to preaching live and listening to it detached is the difference between you sleeping in your own bed And you're going to a hotel for a few nights. Do you have this experience? You go to a hotel, you lay down, you're like, the bed's too hard. The bed's too soft. My pillow's not here. I hear the air conditioning kick on and off. The pillow's too fluffy. The pillow's not fluffy enough. I hear the people in the next room, whatever they're doing, it's not the same as at home. At home, your bed fits right. The covers are right. You know how many the pillow feels right. You have your own spot. Everything is good there. Really good preaching, friends, isn't meant to be comfortable and to put you to sleep. That's not the point of the analogy. Instead, really good preaching is designed to be specific enough and to reach you by God's Spirit in a way that you cannot be reached in any other time or place. I know that's hard to understand. But I emphasize that to you is the very thing necessary in order for God to communicate his grace to you in a way that you really need. It's part of the reason you should be a member of a local church and you should be there faithfully. You should attend. You should hear. You need preaching that fits you And what is known about you, your time, your circumstance, you need that preaching as part of the overall life of a congregation. You might be surprised to learn that when I'm preparing a sermon, probably half that time is spent studying the passage, the other half is spent praying for you. Where you are in life, the difficulties you're facing, the joys, the struggles, and as much as I know you, my prayer is that God would use what happens in this sacred space as a connection between the transcendent in an imminent and the imminent in a way that is truly transformative. So why are we here listening to preaching? Because Jesus commands it. And it's not a bare command. It's not a do it just because I said so. It is a command that oozes with the grace of Jesus Christ intended for you. That's reason number one. Now for our younger members here, I remember an older lady telling me in my second call, she said, Pastor, your sermons are very good, just very long. You really test the patience of the younger members of our congregation, and I fear she may have included herself in that. So the second two points are going to be much shorter. It's not only that Christ commands it, that also means that the pastor should prioritize it. You find that again if I read on, Continuing in verse 2, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. Why do I say that it's necessary for the pastor to prioritize preaching? I say it for two reasons. There's a first reason and a second reason. The first is that Paul says Timothy must persist in his preaching. Look at the end of verse 2. He says, in season, not of season, that's another way of saying when it's easy to do and when it's difficult. It is something that I must discipline myself to do, and I take this to heart, even though you might be surprised to learn it's not an easy thing to do. I read read not long ago that for the average person, about 5% of your time is spent self-directed. Most of your time is a response to the circumstances that exist in your life. I said, has nothing ever truer been spoken of the life of a pastor? Two weeks out from now, my calendar looks very, very open. I know by the time those two weeks arrive, it will be jam-packed. Which means Friday and Saturday, on which I do most of my sermon preparation, if everything was as it should be for two to three weeks in advance, I must hold on to those days and clear off my schedule in a way that I must fight to do. Occasionally, I will take appointments on a Friday or a Saturday. But if you write and say, hey, I'd love just to get together on a Friday or Saturday. Let's talk about whatever. You know what my most likely response is going to be? No. (laughs) It's not because I intend to be offensive. It's because I could go my whole week through and never work on my sermons for a moment And be 110% busy. It is for that reason that Paul says be ready in season and out of season. He's saying that to uh, to Timothy's circumstances. He's also saying that to Timothy's heart. If I can be even a little bit more personal for you, I find it to be a continual struggle to set aside that time. To set aside enough time to know the passage well enough... To serve in a way that stands in between that transcendent word and an imminent people. That takes a lot of reflection. I tell my wife, You will know when I'm struggling because my creativity in preaching disappears. And I don't mean creativity in expositing the word of God, I mean the creativity in seeking to connect you to that word in a way that is transformative. To make it very specific, if I get to Saturday afternoon and I'm still mulling over the passage, I will come here on Sunday morning and feel as though I have nothing to offer you but dribble. And you might be surprised to learn that's not a good feeling. But there's a second and a deeper reason why a pastor must prioritize preaching. And these are the reasons that follow in verse 2. It is what preaching does. Paul says, reprove, rebuke, and exhort the people of God. Preaching is God's way of giving you what you need to be conformed to the image of Christ. He knows what you need, and he calls the preacher to provide what you need in order to know Jesus Christ. It's not the only thing, but it is a critical thing. To be clear, it doesn't mean that the preacher gets to belittle or harm those who listen. Instead, it means that I ought to come with come to you with complete patience and the fullness of teaching. That is to say, it has to be done with the same spirit that Christ came to people when he was on this earth. Sometimes it's direct. The things I am to speak about directly are the things where there is false religious behavior. Sort of the Pharisee things. But to those of us with a tender conscience, to those who are struggling in sin, those who see the weight of the world, those who are fearful and lonely, to those who struggle in all manner of ways, to come to you with the Spirit of Christ is to come with tenderness and compassion and love. Not seeking to herd or to tear down, but to build up, to restore, to show you the grace that comes in our Savior. As Jesus comes with patience, desiring you to know the fullness of Of the scriptures, I am to come in the same way. For these two reasons, Paul says Timothy must prioritize his preaching. Which takes me to the third thing. It's the longest part of this passage, but I'm going to spend the least amount of time on it. The last three verses mostly are spent with Paul saying to Timothy, There's going to come a time where people don't want to listen to preaching. In fact, they're going to set up their own teachers. They're going to be led away into myths. They're going to have all kinds of other things they would rather pay attention to. I'm not sure that marks a period of time as much as a disposition or a bent of the human heart. That's always been a problem for human beings. It's a problem for me, as it may also be a problem for you. It's a lot easier to listen to people who tell you what you want to hear than listen to someone who might challenge you deeply. The question is, what conforms you to Christ? Paul says to Timothy, there's coming a time when people won't like to hear what the pastor tells them. It is entirely possible the reason they don't like it is because the preaching is bad. That is a possibility. Paul is not giving Timothy coverage for bad preaching. What he is saying is that if Timothy's preaching is true, if it conforms to the Word of God... Timothy should not grow weary, instead he should think to himself, this is exactly what God's people need in the time in which they live. And it is my prayer, that's what you hear when you hear me preach. Not me trying to say the same things you've always believed in a way that makes you feel comfortable. Some of those things are good to hear, and you ought to be comforted in them. But if the preaching you hear never challenges you to walk after Christ, to cling to Him, to walk in His ways, something's wrong with preaching. This is not meant to be a time where you're simply put at ease. You zone out and hope it sounds the same as last time. This is a time, if it is true what preaching is, that God is coming to you and challenging you to know Jesus Christ of find comfort in Him alone, and to follow after Him in a way that is conformed To who Jesus is. Let me ask you a series of questions. What does God want for His people? What He wants for you is to hear about the world and your place in it as it actually is. He wants you to know who Jesus is and why He alone is able to save you. Where else are you going to hear that God alone made this world? This world is His, it belongs to no other. No one can lay claim to the world that he has made. You belong to no one but to Jesus. You are his. No matter what anyone else might tell you, your identity, first of all, is in Jesus Christ as you believe in him. Where else are you going to hear that you were made for his good and that you were made for his glory? Where are you going to hear that God made you part of this world and He delights in you as His creation? Who's going to tell you that? In a world that might belittle you and tell you you're really not worth very much until until you self-actualize, the Scriptures come to you and say that if you know your Creator, you can be full and content in what God has given you. It is not what you do for yourself, but what God has already done. Who's going to tell you what's wrong with the world? You look all around you, and there's all kinds of solutions that are given. It is not that the problem is you aren't trying hard enough, or that you haven't, as I said, self actualized. You haven't found your true self. That's not the problem. The problem isn't that you simply haven't learned enough yet, or that you're short of resources. That's not the problem. Where are you going to hear that the problem is actually rebellion against your creator? The problem is that bad. It is a problem that is worse than you could ever imagine if the Bible didn't tell you. Where are you going to hear that? Where are you going to hear that since the problem is far worse than you can imagine, so the solution has to be far greater even than that? Where are you going to hear about a God who loves you not because you have cleaned yourself up and shown up at the right time, but He simply loves you because He is kind and gracious to you? Where are you going to hear that? Where are you going to hear that your relationship to Jesus Christ is uneven by design? It's not that you bring things to Him and He exchanges good things to you but that Jesus has saved you not because of who you are, but because of his love and his alone. And if that is true, he will also persist with you, even at your deepest, darkest moments. Where are you going to hear that? Where are you going to hear that you can actually find peace in this life? Even when you're dying with cancer, your job is coming to an end and your children are struggling to make it in the world, how in the world will you find that peace? The Bible says you will find that in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you'll hear that as someone who knows the Word of God and knows you, does his very best in the middle of all his imperfections and his own struggles as he preaches the Word of God to you Sunday after Sunday. Sunday so why would you listen to a sermon? <laughs> why would you listen? It is because Jesus commands it. Is it. because the pastor should prioritize it. It is that our time demands it. If you want to put all of those into one neat, tidy little box, it's this. You should listen to good preaching because Jesus loves you. That's why. And as much as our confession puts that in the very precise and beautiful language of the ordinary means of grace, and this is one of those ordinary means, the ordinary means of grace are simply the way that we theologically define that this is the way that God gives you the grace that you so desperately need, a grace that flows from His love for you. Go home and take joy in the fact that today you could hear God's Word. And I pray that by His Spirit what you've heard today are not simply my reflections about when I was 10 or about my struggles to make sure I have enough time for preaching sermons or about the work that I did in making this technically accurate. I hope you go home filled with the joy of knowing that you are loved in Jesus Christ. And one of the ways you can see that Jesus loves you is that you hear preaching each Sunday that leads you to him. Let's bow in prayer. Father, it is our desire that what we do in worship is not simply the routine that makes us feel comfortable that we're hoping others would approve of. We do want to be guided by your word, Lord, and all that it says. We want to be as the psalmist says, those who love your word, it is our delight. We meditate on it. We meditate on it day and night. We're guided by your word. It's a lamp to our feet. It's sweeter to us than honey. It's more precious to us than gold. We want that to be true about your word, not simply because it's your word, but because your word finds its meaning. And our Savior Jesus. And I would pray, Lord, this very simple prayer in this night where we have talked about preaching, that you would guard these people who are listening tonight against bad preaching. You would keep them from it, Lord. You would protect them in the same way that you would protect them from physical danger. You protect them from being led astray in some way. Instead, they would always hear preaching that leads them to our Savior Jesus They would see the inevitable grace that is drawing them to Him. And Lord, they would would leave here with the confidence that they can be at peace with the God of the universe because of the wonderful redemptive work of our Savior. And they can go out into a world that may struggle with all sorts of problems and difficulties. And they can go and engage that world Because the Savior who has saved them is ruling from the right hand of the Father. Father, give us joy in that wonderful news. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.